Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Spark Sessions podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. This session, we are talking to Brandon Stiles, who is a really good friend of mine. But this conversation is a really cool and interesting one. We focus on organizing in a more corporate setting, something that might be a little bit different for some of us. But I am excited to introduce you to Brandon. Here he is. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I have known Brandon for longer than I will admit to knowing somebody. How about that? For a long time. Um, We went to college together and had a lot of fun together in college. And he has gone on to do some really cool things. And I'm super excited to have him here today. He is currently a senior manager at an electric utility company in the Southeast. And he has some really cool ideas and interesting perspectives to share with you all about what it really looks like to, to organize in different environments. So Brandon, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, Brandon. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Um, like Chris said, we've known each other for a very long time. She knew me way before the corporate world. Um, so I guess a little bit about me. I went to school at UNC. And when I graduated, I kind of accidentally got a job at an electric utility. And I pretty much kept that kind of momentum in my career and have switched around working at different electric companies. I moved to Tennessee about 10 years ago, and this was a move pretty close to home for me. So before that, I had kind of moved. I lived in Baltimore. I lived in Houston a couple of times. So I kind of got the exposure to the big city corporate world. Mm -hmm. So moving here was kind of about um, moving closer to my family, a little bit of move home. And a lot of like reconciling my values that I grew up with versus my values that I lived my life with outside of the South. Mm. Um, so it's been great. Um, I really enjoy the area I'm in, the company that I work for. We're doing some really great things that hopefully we get to explore on this podcast. So I, I, I love your career. I think it's really interesting because when I knew you right out of college, Um, You were poking around in like nonprofit stuff and you were looking at social justice has always been something you've been interested in. Even back in college, uh, you were involved in some programs. So I'd love to, if you don't mind talking a little bit about what organizing has kind of looked like for you in your life and in your career and kind of where it took you to what you're doing now. So I grew up in a small town in Western North Carolina, which really kind of shaped my perception of the world and also really kind of built a lot of curiosity within me about understanding other people's stories. And I think, you know, identifying as a gay man um, in the rural areas of North Carolina, you know, posed some challenges with like reconciling my identity, I think when I was young. So when I got to college, I took my first women's studies class and it was like, there's so many things I never learned about and I was never taught And there's this whole different world. So that was kind of the first phase of me seeing that, you know, just the education that I had was very skewed. Um, And I think the, when I, the summer or between my freshman and sophomore year, I joined a program at UNC called UNITAS, which was a multicultural diversity program. And it was really one of the kind of the best experiences of my life. I selfishly kind of went into it, moving to a good dorm. (laughs) That was 100% why he did it. (laughs) The the UNC crisis of like living on South campus with no air conditioning, having to walk a mile (laughs) to class. Um, I was opportunistic. Yeah. Um, actually the whole other other podcast. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I joined that program and you were based 
like the roommate selection was based on differences rather than similarities. So my suite of roommates was kind of like all different colors, all different nationalities, all different backgrounds, all different majors and experiences, sexualities, um, and you name it, every box was checked. And so you got academic credit through kind of going through immersive experience of this living experience over the course of the year. And it kind of opened my eyes of like, everyone has a story to bring. Everyone's path has been a little bit different. And I think understanding that kind of shared experience of living, but completely different experience is really important. Um, and then when I graduated, I was like, I'm gonna change the world. Um, and I thought the only way you could do that was like in the nonprofit way. Mm. So I joined a, a really fantastic program called Public Allies in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, it was an AmeriCorps program that mm -hmm. focused on up and coming leaders in the nonprofit community. So you interviewed through it. Um, I honestly think I got selected because I was in a cast at the time because I had a broken leg and I complained that there was no elevator to get me to the second floor interview. Um, but it was also another experience I think that I had when I was really young where I was paired with people who were just like me that didn't look like me, didn't have the same background, but we were all looked at kind of the future of the nonprofit world. And during that time, I worked as a community education person at a sexual and domestic violence center in Durham. And it really kind of opened my eyes of the importance of allies and advocates and how Sometimes a man speaking on women's issues, albeit I'm a gay man, it could be the loudest voice in the room because people are sometimes dismissive. If you're, if you're the person in that marginalized community or with that marginalized experience, people don't often take you as seriously because they are kind of putting you in the framework of a victim rather than someone explaining the, the nuances. So I think at a really kind of young age, I had exposure to a lot of things. I really pushed myself to be exposed to a lot of things um, and a lot of different experiences. And then, you know, I discovered that maybe um, the nonprofit world wasn't the best place for me because I didn't like being broke. And um, it was, you know, I think a lot of, a challenge that a lot of people kind of, go through of like, is it my passion or can I like manifest my passion? And like, can I like sell my soul a little bit to the corporate world and then on the side work a passion project. So I ended up going down that path. And, you know, after going through the domestic and sexual violence trainings and education seminars that I did, like when I got my first corporate job, I was like, no one's dying compared to like a child coming up to me in a presentation or an assembly and disclosing that they're a victim of sexual violence. Like, I just can't even tell you like how impactful that was to me. And it really kind of motivated me to use my voice and the platform that I had and really try to change things within a different framework, I guess. So I think you always kind of have that passion for social justice and, you know, making sure that people are treated fair and equitably and that every voice is heard. Um, so that's, that's a little bit of how I got started and I've kind of always kind of maintained that every voice needs to be heard and everybody deserves it a seat at the table. That's how I am now. That's how I manage my team. And it's just a kind of a, in a different framework, you have to compromise a little bit more and work within a lot more red tape, but it's still possible. 
Brandon, I actually really appreciate you um, giving us that insight because I'm wondering if, you know, any of our listeners or a lot of our listeners, I think for Chris and I thinking about some of our students, um, people being able to differentiate between their passion and then maybe what they do for a living and having to choose between one or the other. And you really talked about how, yes, you made some adjustments and you did take yourself into the corporate world, but that was a foundation. So I'm really excited for us to transition into how you have been able to bridge your passion um, in the corporate setting, still thinking about those foundational values and things that are important to you. Because we always talk about, at least in the social work program, like we're training social workers, right? And we're talking to them about how they can be advocates and how they can be activists, but it's not just going to take social workers, right? And so I'm really excited um, for what you're probably about to share with us. Brandon, I would love for you to, can you talk a little bit about what you're doing right now, how you started a program, you know, how you worked on getting this really important program started, what the program is, what it's about, and your role in that? Sure. Um, So at my company, we have um, employee resource groups, which are They've been called affinity groups, business resource groups. They, they take a lot of kind of different names. I started at my company. I went to the first like Tennessee Valley Pride event and there was a very visible absence of my company, which is one of the largest employers in the area, not having a booth there um, and really not recognizing, you know, me and people that I know that work there as part of the community that we represent. Um, So that was kind of where we started. And so I got with a couple of my friends that I work with who are out. We shared some stories about the challenges of what it's like to be out at work, because I think, you know, I'm of the persuasion of like visibility and representation matter. And that's probably because the demographic I am Um, in the time that I grew up in the 90s, there wasn't a lot of visibility for out people in the media and really seeing really successful people to model yourself after. So I think that's really important to support our customers in the communities that we serve. Um, And I also think it's important to recognize that the people that work for you should represent the communities you serve. And that's a lot of the nonprofit mentality of like asset-based community development of, Mm -hmm. you know, mirroring the community that you're trying to help. Um, So when we started our employee resource group called Spectrum, it was really about getting involved in the community, representing ourselves at pride events, recruiting people of the LGBTQ community in the area, and more than anything, being visible at work so that people who have worked with my company for 25 years and have never been out and have never had a picture of their significant other on their desk, they feel comfortable doing that. And they feel comfortable doing it without retaliation or fear uh, for their safety or that their safety net of work would be taken away from them simply because of the person that they love. So there's a lot of kind of those foundational elements of like your identity that you have to compromise at work. And especially in a corporate environment, you have to kind of pass in a, in, in a certain way. And I think, I, I don't know if you have a social work term for it, like you really mask yourself to blend mm-hmm. um, and negotiate certain parts of your identity to, to make sure that you are what's approved and what's promotable yes. and what's, what's going to be able to push you forward. And I think 
to me, like I said, the visibility of being out at work is important. And I think there's a reinforced focus on corporate studies of like diversity really changes things, inclusion of different ideas and different perspectives, and more importantly, different experiences help you develop better products, help you engage your customers better. Um, so we did this, we started the program about five years ago for the LGBTQ community. And since then I've had multiple people come out um, when we were at pride events, people that worked with me have brought their children who were questioning. Um, and it's just nice to, to have people with a shared experience is probably the best way to say it and have a platform and a forum to have difficult conversations about, you know, the way we're treated and our, you know, quite frankly, living in the South, our civil rights are not always guaranteed. And as of late, mm -hmm. They've just recently been validated, which right. a lot of people who, you know, I think it doesn't matter to you until it's your problem. So until you have a kid or a son or a, a, a brother or a sister or someone directly in your life that is impacted by those things, you can kind of live in ignorant bliss. Mm -hmm. So we have gotten a lot of participation and a lot of support across our entire organization. And more than anything, I think people feel really engaged in their work because they feel seen for the first time, mm. um, which from my perspective, it's like a, a, you don't have to like me. You don't have to enjoy working with me, but you are going to respect me. And my identity is non-negotiable, you know? And I think Very moving true. back to this area, which is close to where I grew up in rural North Carolina, I had to, you know, set boundaries for myself of what I was willing to, to compromise by moving back here. So in a lot of ways, I think I have made an impact with my, the folks who started this with me. I think we really have changed culture. Could it be improved further? Yes, it could. But I think culturally our company is richer and better than it was when I started. So at the end of the day, I, I feel like that's a, a pretty good place to be. There's always yeah. room for improvement, but I think we have had a big impact. So um, I really wanted to, to know a little bit about, because you mentioned sort of having to change an organizational culture. So you mentioned that you've had a lot of great support and every, you know, everybody feels engaged. What do you feel like is present in your organization or things that you maybe had to build capacity for this to be accepted, for this to grow, for this to happen? Because I think people often don't know where to start or what they need to do. So if you could share a little bit about that. Yeah, that, that, that's a really great question. I think it's evolved a lot. You know, that first pride that we went to, we had like all, we didn't have matching shirts. We, you know, we're just barely had flyers to hand out to people. And it was really like lip service, you know, it, it was about, you know, us relying on ourselves as members of LGBT community and how much we cared that we were there. So it wasn't this grand, like all of a sudden they were like, oh, here's $25,000 for a budget, go buy rainbow koozies. And we got there, but it took work. Um, and I think, you know, at the beginning, it was really about, like I said, visibility. So we hosted networking events, which were happy hours. Mm -hmm. um, and it was really just about creating opportunities to, for people to get to know us, see us, and have a little fun in the context of like, yes, we work here. I'll tell you about what I do. 
but I want to know you as a person. And I think letting those walls down of like, not everyone is against you. We're just having a drink together and we all work at the same company and getting to know each other, I think on a personal level was kind of the first step. And then kind of word got around like these gay people are really fun to hang out with. <laughs> um, and then they just became better attended and word of mouth kind of like built it up amongst the managers of like, these people are really fun and they're doing something great. And I think people were really surprised that we were willing to be out and mm. not negotiate that. Of uh, This is who we are. This is what I would have done. And before we started, you know, it was a very small community of us. So we all knew each other, but none of us were vocal friends at work. Mm. Um, so it really built not only, I kind of, I think, a social network of, you know, managers and people who would be hiring and create opportunities for promotions of the LGBT community. But it really like built a network between us of these are my experiences. This is what has happened. And how, what do you think I should do? Um, so it really created kind of a support system for us. So it took, you know, a lot of like brute force there at the beginning of like, let's be charming, <laughs> let's be ourselves, <laughs> um, come have a drink with us. And then we have really moved and transitioned into where we can make a framework that's gonna be successful and lasting. So we built out an ally network because we realized that allies are more important than in a lot of ways for the adoption and the change that we wanna see happen the allies and the advocates are the ones that are doing the talking when we're not in the room. Mm. So it's very few times, unless I'm in a meeting specifically for our employee resource group, that I'm in the room with another gay person mm. throughout my day, or we, it could be weeks that I'm, you know, I'm the only gay person in the room. So I think it's really important to have people who are going to speak on your behalf. And most importantly, watch out for your best interest when there's conversations about compensation and healthcare and access to opportunities, it's really important to build out that ally network. So we formalized an ally training. So people are learning how to be active and how to have those difficult conversations and feel comfortable expressing themselves if they hear something that they don't agree with. So it's really more about educating folks now um, so we've moved away from the, the fun, fun, fun. Um, we still have fun, but it, it really is more about creating opportunities to have conversations about things that are happening and how we can really, you know, move the culture forward at work. I love that you started with fun, right? And something that anybody can participate in, right? And then, but it's more than that now. It's, you have, you've, you guys have continued to grow, continue to push, You've helped influence policy. I mean, you've, you've helped really make some changes in the culture of your organization so that people who do identify as LGBTQ feel comfortable being who they are at work. And I think that's a really important point to remember that, it, yeah, we, you might have started with happy hours, but you guys are influencing policy and that's making a huge difference. Yeah, I think to get people engaged, it has to be fun. You know, if, if you start off with the, the horror story of someone, you know, we had, we've had challenging times um, and we've had some really bad experiences, but those are not the things that I want to focus on because it's really about the, the small wins and the, the micro moments where you see someone have an aha of, 
I did not think that that would impact you that way. And it's not about changing everyone because I know I'm not going to change everyone's opinion about who I am and what I represent. And I, I think when we first rolled this out, we were very strategic and thoughtful with how we implemented it. Who our kind of front person was, was very intentional. And that person had a very outgoing personality and was very social. And it was, you know, making sure that we, we, there's a framework that we have to participate in and to be successful. I don't think we can go in with, I'm, I'm a victim of so many different things and my signs get torn down for the events and it's replaced with a, a revival meeting <laughs> that happens, but mm. it's not what we focus on. It's really about who's going to represent us well as a brand ambassador and making sure that we have the support of people who can make decisions because that's ultimately what's going to make the most impact across the workforce and be able to impact that cultural change. And we have employee resource groups kind of across multiple platforms of race and gender ability. And I think we have really come together as a, a small group of people that are dedicated to change. And I think when we all started, it was very siloed. There wasn't cross-pollination of seeing how we could help each other and really build each other up um, and support each other. It was about almost very corporate, a competition mm. of this is our money, this is our event, you can attend, you don't get your name on the flyer. <laughs> you know, it was a very siloed effort. And now I think we have come together and really kind of embraced that ally and advocate look at the world and that the more people you have on your team, the better. And I think everyone attends everyone's events now. We co-host events um, because there's about 200, 250 people who go to everything. They show up for every event that is hosted by every ERG throughout the year. They are pushing for change and their voice needs to be heard. And the more events that they, they attend, the more they learn about how to kind of play within that sandbox mm. of who to speak to, who's, who's showing up, who are the people that are on my side. Um, and it's really about building your kind of wheel of influence within the network. I love that you talk about allyship and the importance of allyship and building that network across differences. Like, I think that that's a, it's a super important point that I hope our listeners hear. Absolutely. And I also want to just point out um, something I, I think I tend to do. Um, my students may get sick of it, but, um, you know, I'm really learning more about and a lot of my research and work is really focusing on the intersectionality perspective and, you know, thinking about Kimberly Crenshaw and really looking at intersectionality. And what you talked to us about and what I just thought about was it was unintentional. Maybe that's you said you all were very siloed, but think about how many people may hold different identities in each of those groups, right? Mm -hmm. And being able to come together and see the intersection of different marginalized identities and how people are impacted differently because of that. So for example, you know, if if you were a black gay man, right, working in a corporate 
setting, then there's that extra uh, marginalized oppression of the two identities. And so I think about intersectionality in terms of even what you all are doing there and bringing together and focusing on those differences, but still creating and trying to sustain equity and change um, in that corporate environment. And I think it's a really, really important because a lot of us hold multiple identities and that impacts how we see the world, how the world sees us, how we function in a workplace, whether we have access to healthcare or not, um, you know, and, and other things of that. So I just kind of wanted to point that out because I heard that and, and that was that was pretty um, powerful for me to hear in a corporate setting. Yeah, I think intersectionality is something that we've talked about more and more because we see that, you know, over the events of the past year that have happened, it's not just about an LGBTQ issue. It's not a black issue. It's not an Asian issue. It is really a other issue. Mm -hmm. And I think we have really bonded as a group, especially back during the summer, um, kind of the height of the Black Lives Matter movement of, you know, we are, we have one month to focus in. And of course, June is um, pride month for our group but it just didn't seem appropriate for us to take up that much space. Mm -hmm. So we really shared our platform in the focus month because Black History Month happened, you know, right at the moment when COVID was coming on and no one was able to pivot quickly in the corporate world of moving these events and doing them justice to an online world. So we really were intentional about sharing our platform with the other ERGs. And I think it was a, a beautiful shared experience about how interactive things could be by touching on intersectionality and multiple identities and making sure that everyone is represented throughout the month. And I think we've done a much better job with kind of working with the other groups to lean in when it's their focus months to make sure that we have space to have a conversation that affects other people besides just their resource group. It's much more collaborative, I think, than it, it was when we first started, because we were all nothing to against anyone. We were just getting our sea legs. We didn't really know what we were doing. And there's nothing wrong with that because you're not doing anything wrong because you're doing something, you know, that you're passionate about and you're trying to figure out, you know, what that sandbox looks like that you're playing in. And is it the sandbox that everybody's playing in or is it just yours? And we didn't have a lot of direction from you know, it was new from a corporate perspective of what we were trying to do. So mm -hmm. um, we just kind of had to figure it out. And I think we're still figuring it out, but I think we're much better than we were when we first started. I'm sitting here thinking, Brandon, that if we have people that are listening, that might be kind of going back to when you said earlier about maybe working in an environment that isn't necessarily your passion, but trying to find a way to make your passion come to work with you or find a place for that in your life. I'm thinking like if you if we have listeners who are in a corporate setting or are kind of dealing with that right now, what advice do you have for them to get involved or to move something forward? Like what would you say to them? I think there's a fear of expecting failure. For every small win that you have, there could be 10 people who don't agree with you and are going to push back. But like knowing that those incremental successes are valuable and you need to look at those as the motivation of, you know, it, it's very similar to just being rejected a lot 
Uh, not every idea hits, but it's really important, I think, to identify what you want to do. And you don't have to have this grand goal at the end of the day. Make it small. Make it, I want to put together a happy hour to have conversations with people that I normally would not have a conversation with. I'm going to set up a coffee chat with someone who I think they look really interesting and they might have a really great insight on how I could be more successful. It's really just like step out of your comfort zone. Um, more than anything, just don't get discouraged. I think um, you have to start somewhere and starting small is not, it shouldn't be, you, you feel like you're not making a big enough impact because small things move into larger things. The more people you talk to, the better network you build, the more influence you have. Um, so you just have to start somewhere. Well said. And that's why Chris and I are doing this. I mean, we really want people to see there's not just one way to, to make change. And everybody has a lived experience and everybody has a perspective and everybody's tried something. And we just want people to have a sense of hope that if you look at what's in front of you and you are dedicated to something you're passionate about, and it is like what we say, what sparks you, right? You just, you plan a happy hour. I mean, look at, look there. <laughs> happy hour is always a good place to start. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'll say, you know, speaking mm -hmm. of happy hours, the way that we started our group was myself and two of my friends went to happy hour. We wrote our mission, our vision, and what we wanted to accomplish. And that was adopted by all of the other employee resource groups to model what they were going to do after. So it doesn't, if you don't drink, it's not a big deal, but it's just a good way to get the ball rolling. Um, go have lunch with someone. Um, it, it's really about just making connections with people who you think have like-minded interests and they don't have to be completely on board, but you just need someone, you just need help. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. You can't do all this stuff by yourself build relationships. That's why you and I are on this call together right now. And that's why Michelle and I are on this and Meredith and I, I mean, it's, it's interesting when you think about like all, sometimes all it takes is just being in an English class together freshman year. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for this. Brandon, thank you for uh, sharing a little bit about you and uh, your background and kind of uh, what you've got going on. I just have one final question for you. What, what's next? What do you hope is next? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I honestly, I'm one of those people who I like to be challenged. Um, so I'm always looking for new opportunities. Um, I love what I do. I love working in the utility industry because it changes a lot. Um, and I'm really excited to see where we are as a company in the next couple of years because I think diversity and inclusion is being looked at universally as a really, really critical component of moving companies forward. And companies are being evaluated financially on how well they perform. And um, DNI is a risk to a business model. So I hope that in two years, I look back on this conversation and I say, I called that. So. I think in two years we should be 
in a very different place, having very different conversations. And it will be about the impact that we made now and the changes that we have worked so hard to implement um, being really realized. Um, and there will be more people of color and there will be more LGBTQ members um, and employees at work. And we recently hired someone um, as an intern who converted or to a full-time employee. And he is in our spectrum employee resource group and out. And I, you know, I tell people that I work with that what we're doing is conservative because mm -hmm. the next generation of the workforce has never been in the closet. They don't know how to pass because they haven't been accepted. Mm -hmm. And it's really doing them a disservice by not having that conversation of preparing them for what the workforce will look like in the future. So I'm excited to see those people come up. And this conversation of my like antiquated view of <laughs> there was a moment where I was worried that, you know, something would happen to me at work or my job could be at risk. That's mm -hmm. no longer even a topic of conversation. I live in the South. I have a cat named Peggy. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love this it. is great. Well, I think it's time for you to go feed, feed your animals, Brandon. Thank you so much for, yeah, of course. Um, for saying yes, for coming on and sharing your story with uh, our listeners. And anytime I get to hang out with you is a good time for me. So. Agreed. You were like my OG ally. You were an ally before we knew what they were called. Ah, thank you. Well, I'm always here. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I love talking about this stuff. Do you know any activists or doers that you would like for us to highlight on this podcast? If so, let us know. Or if you just want to keep in touch, connect with us on Instagram and Facebook at Spark Sessions Podcast or on Twitter at Spark Session Pod. Thanks, y'all.